What a waste. What a waste. You ever come across a situation, think that to yourself, maybe you say that out loud, you see something, you experience something, you know about a circumstance, and you, you see the lost potential that's not realized. You see the, the, the resources being used in ways that are just not what they're meant for. You, you see something like that, maybe you've experienced it in your own life, and you just say, what a waste. <laughs> what a waste. I came across an interesting story uh, from Washington, D.C., about uh, a woman who fell from a second-story window into a slow-moving garbage truck on the street. <clears throat> After a few seconds of sort of getting herself up, rummaging through the trash and, and getting her uh, wits about her, she started waving up toward the front where the truck driver was, and the, the, the driver of the truck didn't see her. Uh, well, this, this whole scene was witnessed by this foreign diplomat on the sidewalk who saw the whole scene and said, just another example of how wasteful Americans are. I'm sure that lady's got at least another 10 years left on her. What a waste. There's a story of a rich man. A story of a rich man who wanted to give his mom a Mother's Day present that would top all others. Top all others. And he knew that she liked birds. And so he read of this rare bird that had a vocabulary of 4,000 words, could speak numerous uh, languages, and could sing three operatic arias. And so he purchased this bird, this fancy bird for $50,000, sent it to his mom. And uh, when she received it, he called and he said, Hey, did you get the bird? How do you like it? <laughs> and she said, It was delicious. <laughs> what a waste. <laughs> waste of a good bird, I guess. <laughs> On every single one of my grade cards, Maybe not all of them, but all of them that I remember seeing, because I don't remember the ones that didn't say this. <clears throat> on all my grade cards, the number one comment from my teachers in elementary school was, does not perform up to potential. <laughs> Hashtag elementary school confession. <clears throat> Maybe you felt that about some areas of your life. Wasted potential. Time not well spent. You get into a relationship and you realize you've said some things that wasted time. You get to the end of a project and you realize you, you didn't do what you could have done. Or you also have this sense of maybe even defeat and loss. That you didn't steward your time well. You get to the end of a project and you realize that not only did I not do what I could have done. I, I feel that I didn't do what I should have done. That's a feeling of, of waste. And when you realize, <laughs> well, let me ask it, when do you realize that you haven't managed your time effectively? <laughs> After the fact. When you realize you haven't managed your time effectively. <clears throat> Came across a little poem that says it, says it well. Some people die in ashes, some people die in flames. But most people die inch by inch playing silly little games. Some people die in ashes, some people die in flames, but most people die inch by inch playing silly little games. And friends, we're not just talking about 
not learning what you could have or should have in elementary school. I mean, please, learn what you could and should. I'm not going to make an argument for not doing the best you can. I look at that as a loss, and I'm sure you would too for yourself. We're not just talking about that kind of thing for yourself. We're talking about wasted potential, wasted time, unrealized resources that we have. We're talking about what lies in the balance of learning to use those and to learn those lessons. It's not just whether or not your teacher says does not perform up to potential. What we're talking about in the kingdom of God and the body of Christ, what what lies in the balance of learning to take advantage of the time that God has given us is the eternal destinies of human beings. The stakes are high as to whether or not we learn this lesson. The stakes are human beings' eternal destinies as to whether or not we learn the lesson about how we use our time. That's why this isn't a silly little game. That's why I hope that for for each of us who are stewarding the resource of what God's given us in the Word, in our relationships, in the body, in our gifts and talents, I hope that we realize what we have so that someday down the road we're not sitting there in a rocking chair unable to do anything other than let somebody else care for us realizing what we didn't do with what we had. That's the warning in Ephesians 5. Paul realizes the stakes of the matter. And what what I know about me and, and and I suspect about most of us is that I fritter away my time. I I sort of waste away my resources and the potential that God's given me. I waste my time when I am disconnected from God's purposes. That's when I know that I've wasted my time, when I am disconnected from God's purposes. Paul, Paul knew this, and that's why he wrote to the church in Ephesus here in Ephesians 5, to remind them, to remind them that their connectedness as a body, that their connectedness as a body of believers was for service, was for mission. You'll note maybe in the 3C Life Weekly there, the bulletin, that the name of the title here is changed. It's not just connected in service, it's connected in mission. All forms of service, internal, external, all forms of serving one another are an example of the mission of God come to save us, communicated to one another. So this is really something larger than just these small ways of service we think of. Those small ways of service have a meaning far beyond what we think of when we're doing those things. Because, friends, the truth is that not only do we waste time when we are disconnected from God's purposes, but the contrary, the the obverse, the other side of that is also true. We redeem time. We make the best use of the time when we are connected to God's purposes. And that's the truth of the passage here. This is why he warns us in Ephesians 5, and we're going to jump in right here at verse 15. That's why he warns us to make the best use of the time. Jump in at verse 15, and let's look at this passage and, and explain some things and apply this to ourselves here. 
verse 15, he starts out, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time, because the days are evil. What a great verse. That first little section in verse 15 there, Look carefully then how you walk. Press pause. I'm going to spend some time here. He says, look carefully, look mindfully, look deliberately, look with intent, meaning take great care when it comes to how you walk or, or how you live. Measure your steps carefully. That's why it's important for us as a body to gather on a regular basis. This is like your spiritual Fitbit here on Sunday mornings. I mean, this is, this is where you can continue to be reminded of why you exist, why the body is here, what your resources, what resources are for. So, being regularly involved with the body is is part of this, looking carefully to remind us. So look carefully then how you walk. It says, uh, you may want to circle that word walk there. It's an important word here in this passage. It just means how you live. Paul is using this word uh, very deliberately to talk about how you live, how you walk. He's already in Ephesians used this word. He's already in Ephesians used this word uh, six other times. Five of them in the previous uh, little sections Ephesians 4 and 5. This is the fifth, I'm sorry, this is the seventh time, the final time in this book that this word walk is mentioned here. And it's not just that he likes this as a metaphor for life. He's using this word very intentionally because it has an Old Testament tradition uh, with it. In the Old Testament, God called his people to walk in his ways. A lot of language about path, trajectory, a way. That's part of why the, the first Christians called themselves people of the way. So in the the Old Testament, it's used 140 times plus. In the New Testament, it's used 60 plus times. And two-thirds of those times for this word walk are used by Paul. So he's obviously trying to carry on this tradition of using walk like this. Let me give you a little example from the Old Testament. We'll put it on screen here. Leviticus 18. This is just one example from the Old Testament of this use of the word walk. It says, You shall follow my rules and keep my statutes. And walk in them. Statutes and rules are sort of parallel there. Commandment, command, statute, law, principle, tenet. So you shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. For I am the Lord your God. So here in Ephesians 5, jumping back to verse 15 there. When Paul writes, look carefully then how you walk. He's saying don't just saunter through life. Don't waste your time. Measure your time very carefully about how you live to ensure that your life's trajectory is, keep reading, not as unwise, but as wise. Making the best use of the time. This is the first of three times in this passage where he says, not as this, but as this. Not as unwise, verse 15, but as wise. Don't be foolish, verse 17, but understand what the Lord's will is. Verse 18, don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. Now we could spend lots of time unpacking each one of those. We're going to primarily talk about the first one. Uh, But the gist of all three of uh, these sort of not this, but this statements is to remind us to live productively for God's mission in the world. That's why he's giving us these contrasts, not this, but this. Because this is the section in Ephesians where the unity, the connectedness that we have to Christ in the body is something that, that has, has an outreach, has an outgrowth to it. 
if it's going to be unity, if it's going to be connectedness, if it actually matters, if we are really receiving grace from God we don't deserve, then we will grace others with it in a manner that's in keeping with the gift given to us. So this is that whole section in Ephesians where he says, if that's true about you as an individual, then this will be true about us as a body. So that's why we talk here at FCC a lot about God's kingdom and mission. And the third of our C's is communicate the gospel in word and deed. Because we want our C's of celebrate, cultivate, and then the third one, communicate, to have a trajectory to them which is about the communication of the gospel. So that's what Paul's reminding us here to do, not play around. Now let's look at this not unwise but as wise thing. I want you to turn with me to Colossians. Colossians 4, verse 5. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Go eat popcorn. General Electric Power Company. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. 4, 5. All my youth leaders would be proud. Colossians 4, 5 is a parallel passage. It's a lot like ours, but there's one main difference we want to point out. It says this. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Notice that here in Colossians, he adds the bit about walking in wisdom toward outsiders. He's directing the motivation for, uh, for right living, for walking in wisdom toward outsiders. He's saying that our motivation for walking with wisdom is witness. Now I say this about Colossians 4, 5, uh, that we are to walk in wisdom toward outsiders, because some people come to these two passages, and uh, this, this Ephesians passage and this Colossians passage, and they think that because Colossians is obviously directed toward outsiders and, and towards non-believers, that when Paul writes as he does in Ephesians, that he's, that he's really just trying to say, let's just build up the body, just worry about the body. That would be a short-sighted view of Ephesians. And you can't really do justice to Ephesians by simply using Colossians as a way to say this is what it means in Ephesians. In fact, if anything, <laughs> Colossians adds to what he means by what we're saying in Ephesians as opposed to subtracting if you followed that. Sorry, if you didn't. <laughs> so, here's why I'm making a fine point on this issue. And I'll give some more color to this in just a second. Building up the body is never merely, is never simply about building up the body. Building up the body is never merely about building up the body. If we don't get this through our heads, we will lose our way. We will pervert our resources. We will lose our sense of mission and we will continue to take God's creation and His good stuff that He's given to us and use it for ourselves. For ourselves. If we don't understand this one truth, we should pack up and send our money to somebody else who does understand the gospel. We build up the body for the sake of those who aren't in the body. Think of it this way. It's sort of like, it's sort of like with exercising. Uh, when you exercise or you run or you lift weights to build endurance uh, or strength, uh, you're doing that so your body functions better to do various things, to, to lift more at work, to, uh, to be able to, 
chase after the babies or, or wrestle with your kids or grandkids better or so that your back doesn't hurt like it always seems to now that you're 42. <clears throat> now, now I realize as I say this, some of you maybe in your heads are going, actually, I, I do work out. I do work out just to look better pretty much. <laughs> but, but think about this for a second here. It's the same sort of dynamic here in the body of Christ. If we build up the body merely to build up the body, then for whose sake are we doing that? We're doing that so we look good. It can be the same way with us. We do that so that we can say, hey, look at our nice building. The pews are nice and padded. Isn't that nice? Which can functionally become a way of saying, I really don't believe that there is a hell or lost people. It, it can become its, its own sort of idol to us of, of feeling good about us internally. Like we're, real, we're just a really healthy, strong body. Really prove it. Show me. Show me. Where's the fruit? How does your body work better? Don't tell me about your padded pews. At the end of your life in your obituary, you're going to say, you know what, this is, this is the stuff that happened in my life that I feel good about, that makes me feel good. <laughs> I, I, the whole time I think Jesus is sitting up there going, I want to, I want to know about disciples being made. That's what I want to know about whether this was a healthy body. That's, that's what I think he's going to measure us by. Pause. Padded pews are nice. If they're a piece of us extending the gospel to other people. A nice building is important. Air condition is helpful. If it's a piece of us extending the kingdom to those who don't know Jesus. But if it doesn't go beyond that, then it becomes an idol. At that point, it becomes a resource for our self-righteousness. What we do here in being strengthened in our gathering is so that we can be fruitful in our scattering. Building up the body is never merely about building up the body. Building up the body is never merely about building up the body. What we do here, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday, is so that we can be strengthened. Not so that we look good, but so that we actually function better. I think a lot of Christians in America are sitting in training all day long, just sitting in training. Just sitting in training. Stuck in training. Stop training. And go actually be the hands and feet of Jesus to people who go to hell if we don't serve. Those are the stakes of the matter. Those are the actual stakes of the matter in whether or not we learn this lesson. Those are the actual stakes of the matter. So, back to Ephesians 5. Somebody comes to this text in Ephesians 5.15 and they know that Colossians says, as opposed to 5.15, toward outsiders. They come to Ephesians 5.15 they say, Ha! See, nothing about building up the body for the sake of others. Jump back to 5.15. Let me show you somehow it's not really about building up the body for the body, but building up the body for the sake of those not in the body. Connected to connect. Look at 15 and 16 again. It says, Look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time. There are two features that are common between the two texts, walking in wisdom and making the best use of the time. 
Now, with regard to this idea of walking in wisdom, what Paul is doing here is he's drawing in a long tradition of the Old Testament of what wisdom looks like. What wisdom looks like and why it's important to live wisely. According to the tradition of the Old Testament here, and we'll put this on screen, there are two ways to live. There's one good place for it, Proverbs 4. There are two ways to live. Proverbs 4, 11 to 14 shows this to us, wisely and foolishly. It says, I have taught you the way of wisdom. I have led you in the paths of uprightness. When you walk, your step will not be hampered. If you run, you will not stumble. Keep hold of instruction. Do not let go. Guard her, for she is your life. Notice the bookends of the path and way used in the first and last verses. And then 14, do not enter the path of the wicked. Do not walk in the way of the evil. The options in life, according to Proverbs, and this is what Paul's picking up on, the options in life are the way of wisdom and the way of foolishness. And uh, just to summarize and get this in front of you on screen before we keep moving, we're going to put this on screen here. The way of wisdom, the way of wisdom is the knowledge of God used for God's purposes. Throughout Scripture, wisdom is never something you just hold on to. It's just not. It becomes wisdom when it's used for God's purposes. You can have wisdom all day long uh, in theory, but it's not actually wisdom. It's just knowledge. You could have wisdom all day long and just hoard it to yourself. Congratulations, you're hoarding it to yourself. It's doing nothing for anybody else. That's not wisdom. The Bible tradition of wisdom is that it becomes functional for the sake of somebody else to know Jesus. Then it's wisdom. It becomes used. The key word here in this definition about used, uh, of wisdom is that it's used for God's purposes. Wisdom is when the knowledge of God does something. It has nothing to do with age, nothing to do with pedigree, degrees, knowing stuff, being smart. It's when knowledge is used for God's purposes. Godly truth made fruitful. Godly truth made fruitful. <clears throat> skip, skip, skip. Verse 16 says, making the best use of the time. Those who are wise in the sense that we just talked about will make the best use of the time. Those who even perhaps have a knowledge about the truth but do little or nothing with it for the sake of being fruitful in the kingdom are being foolish. Because the wise people, at the end of verse 17 it says this, will do what the will of the Lord is, who know the will of the Lord. To make the best use of the time is to be wise, to use it to do what God wants instead of wasting it. And those who are wise understand that we are redeemed to redeem, connected to connect, graced to grace, blessed to be a blessing. Uh, there's a church that uh, the elders and some of us staff just visited in South Carolina where they have this phrase, that I think we should steal and use. Found people find people. Found people find people. That church understands that when they gather, this is for the sake of scattering to find people. It is perhaps one of the most tragic things on the planet. 
when people who have resources beyond measure squander their resources for the sake of self. It's an abuse of God's good creation. It's not in keeping with the manner in which the gift of God's grace was given to us when we squander the time, when we don't use the resources, when we, when we foster among us and in ourselves the selfish heresy that this is ours and that we got ourselves here. That's somebody who doesn't understand grace. And friends, straight up, the American church abuses its resources when it lives under the selfish heresy that we sit here, every single one of us, because we deserve it. That is to abuse and not understand the grace of the cross. And so if we, if we know we've been found, then we will find. Why? Because the days are evil. He says it right there. He says it right there at the end of uh, verse 16. Making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Time is a limited resource. Time was actually created by God so that He could reveal Himself. And a portion of that is us understanding that we were given time as a resource to use to be a part of God revealing Himself. It doesn't last forever. Time ends. There will be a, a day when God comes to judge the living and the dead. So if you're a believer, think of time this way. God gave you time so that you can do ministry. God gave you time so that you can do ministry. Verse 17. Therefore, we're not going to spend a lot of time on these verses, but there are no other ways that, that sort of practically work out what we've talked about. Therefore, verse 17, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. If you believe the selfish heresy that, that the will of the Lord was to save you so you could sit back and sip lemonade on your front porch uh, while others around you perish without Christ, uh, then I would like for you to tell me where you see that in Scripture because, because in Scripture what we see is God gives us the gift of grace and if we understand what we have, we give it away in grace to everyone who needs it. Which if you have eyes to see is people all over the place. Some of them are in your own families. Some of them are co-workers. Some of them are neighbors or friends you've known for years. You never had one conversation with them about how you love the grace God gave you. Don't be foolish. Understand what the will of the Lord is. The will of the Lord is to reveal Himself in time to people. What's God's will for my life? That's God's will. <laughs> well, how about this or how about this? Do they both achieve God's glory in revealing Himself in time to people and you get to be a part of that? Then choose one. I, I, I just choose one and do it. God will bless it if you're faithful. The will of the Lord is for Him to receive all glory. And when more people know Him as the Lord, He receives more glory. <clears throat> so the will of the Lord is to reveal Himself. Do not get drunk, verse 18, do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, 
Excessive indulgence in selfish pleasure is a detriment to your ability to be fruitful for the kingdom. Addictions are problematic, not merely because they control you, but because they control you and keep you from being fruitful for the sake of the gospel. So excessive indulgence in selfish pleasure like being drunk is, is, is most problematic. It's the, the, real, the real danger there is not merely that you are physically addicted to something and it controls you. It's what it takes you from. It takes you from seeing God made known through your own giftedness. So don't get drunk with wine, for that's debauchery, but be filled. He says, this is the not this, but this. This is the third one here. Don't get drunk with wine, but be filled with the Spirit. In other words, be fruitful for the sake of someone else as proof of God's work in you. Be fruitful for the sake of someone else as proof of God's work in you. Addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. He's finishing up with this prayer of encouragement uh, that builds up for mission. Uh, Address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, verse 19. In other words, worship is a place where we are reminded who we are. It's a place where we gather to build up so that we can be fruitful when we scatter. Singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. Encouragement comes from directing our praises from God to God. Praise is directed to God. And then he says, verse 20, giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Which is to say the mission is motivated by thankfulness. This is what we do here. We connect with one another, saying out loud to one another through the way that we pray, the way that we sing these songs, the way we come together around the Word. What we do is we remind ourselves of the connection that is available in Christ, in the body, so that we can be built up week after week, not just in worship, but in our small groups as life groups come together to talk about how they live these things out in community. In various areas of service all all over this building as we speak, going on throughout the week. We have people serving all over the place. All of these activities in which we come together are not about making the name of First Christian anything. It's about making the name of Jesus great in our people so that the work of God can be known in us and communicated to others. That's, That's what this is. That's what this connection is all about. Connected to connect and friends it's a it's a tragedy it's a tragedy when we don't realize the stakes in the use of our time in the use of our resources the stakes as to whether or not we will redeem the time for something bigger than than us as individuals there was a man who was a 19th century political figure and diplomat his name was his name was Charles Francis Adams, and he kept a journal. He kept a diary each day. And one day he wrote these words, real simple. He said, "Went fishing with my son today. Day wasted." He has a son named Brooke who also kept a diary. Had a total, totally different perspective on that time. The use of the time for his son <laughs> was redeemed. was about something meaningful to him. He said, went fishing with my dad today, the most wonderful day of my life. Friends, the way to know 
the difference between wasting time and redeeming time, squandering resources or investing resources. The difference is the purpose. The difference is the purpose. And, and, and as we use our resources of our time, our giftedness, our money, as we use these resources increasingly for the purpose of God, making Himself known in the world, we will sense His pleasure in our time, in our use of resources. Let's pray.